Welcome to the latest ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and as we gear up for the first Masters 1000 of the year in Indian Wells, it's another packed show this week as we hear from the likes of former top five player Thomas Burdich, Denmark's Holger Rune, and upcoming Italian Lorenzo Musetti. But first, we head to Dubai and the ATP 500 playing out there this week. Novak Djokovic narrowly lost out to eventual champion Daniel Medvedev in the semi-finals, but he can be more than happy with his week's work. It's the first time we've seen Djokovic on tour since he clinched his 22nd Grand Slam title at the Australian Open. And this week he achieved another career milestone, surpassing Steffi Graf's record 377 weeks at world number one. Any achievement that is obviously linked to the history of the sport that I truly love is of course very flattering, very fulfilling and uh, you know I'm very happy because um, you know I've, I, I've dedicated my whole life to achieving great things in, in tennis and in this sport so um, you know it's flattering to be amongst uh, the legendary names like uh, Steffi Graf that is one of the biggest names that both in men women tennis we, we ever had. But I keep going, you know, I, I don't uh, try to, you know, I guess uh, maybe it's, it's bad to say pay too much attention to that, but in a way like just moving on and trying to take on the next challenge because if there is one thing that the tennis uh, life and a tennis kind of season teaches you is that you have to move on uh, to a next one very quickly, whether you win or lose, there's always a next a possibility or an opportunity coming up. Yeah, talking of the, the next challenge, of course, 22 Grand Slam wins now since we last saw you on the ATP Tour. How much are you plotting and planning your sort of tour schedule to really focus on number 23? You know, I, in, in one way, I, I really uh, value every tournament greatly. So I try to approach to, you know, each tournament uh, like it's a, it's, a, it's a most important one, regardless of the category of the event. So I really want to, particularly this uh, age uh, and stage of my career to really uh, try to use the most of my own abilities and, and, and win as much as I possibly can. Uh, each trophy maybe values two, three, four times more than, than what was the case 10 years ago. Uh, but at the same time, you know, of course, uh, it's, it's no secret that the biggest priority uh, tournaments, uh, the goals and ambitions are the Grand Slams. Uh, and and uh, some thousand uh, ATP events, you know, where I participate. So that's where I like to pick. Um, and but you know, that's that's kind of on a long stick because the Roland Garros is is still you know months and months away. So I try to take things uh, week after week, uh, build my form, build my body, you know, be mentally there, inspired to play to play tennis every single day. You know, there's something to improve on, a new challenge. So um, it's it's a kind of a lifestyle that I'm used to, and and I still enjoy it. So I you know hope that um, by the by the time Roland Garros arrives, I'll be in, in in the in the best shape possible. Now talking of Roland Garros, it is of course you against Rafa, isn't it? It's no secret for this Grand Slam record. How would you describe your relationship and your rivalry with Nadal? Well, best rival that I ever had, uh, biggest rival I ever had. Uh, we played what 59 times against each other. I mean, uh, the most that any any two players you know faced each other in the history of the game. So we still keep going strong. You know, I'm I'm happy that we both are challenging the young guns. You know, for for the biggest titles. Um, and I, I think that 
probably there is also a big reason why we still compete on a high level is because you know he goes because I'm still going or the other way around and uh, I think that's great about about this rivalry and I feel like many people around the world who follow sports and tennis they still want us to keep going um, until until we can't go anymore, I guess. Um, he's always, of course, the main favorite on, on any clay court event, particularly Paris. Um, yeah, let's see. I mean, you know, we both we both uh, want to peak there. Uh, it's it's no doubt about it. So let's see what happens. You were playing through pain and injury. It's no secret, you know, through Adelaide and and Melbourne. You sort of alluded to it after after the tournaments in Melbourne. How tough was that period, and and how much did you need to sort of manage your body through that? It was challenging. Look, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, big shadow, the doubt whether I had an injury or not. There's a lot of people questioning that. Uh, uh, but you know, uh, I was definitely injured, and you know, I, I know what what I was going through and my team members. But uh, obviously, that makes the the victory uh, in Melbourne even greater, you know, because you had to face adversities. And uh, I haven't practiced uh, one single day between matches. You know, I've I just you know warm up for the for the match and played. Luckily, I, I was having a great preparation prior to coming to Australian Open and plenty of tennis. So, so I was, um, so to say, um, allowed to have the luxury of maybe not practicing in the days with no match and just trying to use every moment to, to recover and to get my leg, leg in a better shape. Um, right now, I have not feel, felt pain for the last week or so. I feel good on the court. Still building, uh, still getting to 100%. I'm still not there, but you know it's it's a process, and um, I look forward to to what's coming up. Novak Djokovic speaking there with Paul King. In the other half of the draw, Andrei Rublev made it all the way to the final, eventually losing out to Daniel Medvedev. Rublev's longtime coach is Spaniard Fernando Vicente. And he mixed things up recently, bringing in another Spaniard to help out. Former player Alberto Martin. Fernando, who's his coach a long time, and he, they called me and said uh, if I would like to do some weeks with them. And uh, I was without, not working at the time, and uh, I was, I exit very, it's very nice job for me to do. Help Fernando, who is doing an amazing job with, with uh, Andre since eight years ago now. So happy to, to join the team. Yeah, not many people uh, outside of tennis might realize this, but Andre is very much a Spaniard, isn't he? Just explain how his, uh, his collaboration with Barcelona and Spain has been going over the few years. Well, I'm quite new to the to the team, so uh, I think he's a very Russian anyway. But uh, uh, he's he's practicing a lot in Spain, so probably he's got some of the the habits that we do in the country. But but anyway, I feel he's very Russian at all. But uh, I'm quite new, so I will tell you more in advance. <laughs> tell us about the day-to-day -day running of a player during a tournament. What sort of things are you looking for in terms of improving skills or tactical? You know. Looking ahead to the next match. Well, we just uh, try to to follow a little bit the lead that Fernando is, gave me, that because uh, he knows him more than me, and uh, watching the matches, the things that work, the things that are not working, try to do a little things. But you cannot do much during the tournaments because there is not long time to practice. What do you make of Andre's game so far this year? He, he's sort of, you know, good run in Australia, but sort of some mixed match results as well. How do you think his his game is at the at the moment? 
I think uh, he changed a big part of the team. Not only me was coming, but the physio, also the physical trainer, also is new. So it's a big, a lot of changes, and uh, I think it. He has to still. We have to assimilate a little bit, but he did well so far in Australia. That was the main important event. But the other tournaments, he he was, he could do a little bit better. But we, hopefully, we we can improve in starting to go up again in the Wales. Miami and all these events. You seem like a very calm person. We know Andre sometimes on court can be very fiery. Do you ever have to deal with sort of that sort of mental side of the game as well with Andre? Yeah, we, we're working also in, in, on this because uh, I am also psychologist, a sports psychologist, but uh, little by little we hope to, to address this and, uh, and he'll do better. I, I'm, I'm very pretty sure. I guess when he's winning, he's happy, right? Everybody when he's winning is happy, but uh, we try not to depend on winning or losing, but but the performance and and the things that objectives that we have that 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 he performed well and and that's our main goal it was another great week in dubai and one interested observer was former world number four thomas birdie who was soaking in the atmosphere and showing his support for 21 year old countryman yuri lehechka yeah, I'm just stopping by. Actually, it's my just you know one uh, one and only day on, on the tennis. I was on the way you know from holidays, and I just stopped here. The tournament was was happening or is happening here. So you know I have a you know close buddies. Um, it is it is you know coach of uh, Jiri Lahechka, Michael and them. So I want to see them just to talk with them a little bit. You know, I have plenty of time now. So. It was a good reason to do a stop and uh, just just a nice friendly stop on the on the place that you know I have a good memories on this place so it's nice to stop by. What do you make of uh, Yuri? Obviously, yeah, he's sort of waiting somebody to step into the mantle of the, the best Czech player, but he's he's got some talent, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know after a bit of slow period after maybe myself and Radek, you know, we stop and. Uh, we led the stage to to another guys. Then uh, I think he's definitely the one that should carry the flag, you know, and uh, and going forward. And um, yeah, that's that's also one of the reasons. You know, I just want to stop by and see him more personally, closely, and and we'll see how the how the things develop, how the things goes. And well, um, yeah, good stuff. So there's potential of a future collaboration there, maybe. Well, you know, I was always the guy going uh, by the instinct and by the by the constant feeling and the moment. So we will see how the how the things develop, how the how that goes. You know, not not any commitments putting on on the table yet, which I don't think it's necessary. You know, his team is is good, is strong. They're doing well. They're doing a good job. So you know, just maybe on the right time, right moment, we will see. What are his main strengths as a player? Obviously still so young as well. Yeah, he's very young, but I mean, what I've seen, it's really the, the way he's composed with his game. I think it's 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 very good, what I like. What I like is his fitness preparation or his like body, you know, being strong and not some of the young kids, they might struggle with it. You know, they need more muscles or, you know, they lack of power. That's definitely not his case, which is, you know, I like it. It's very similar to, to my, you know, to, to myself, my game. Even he mentioned it many times, you know, so it's, you know, it's nice to hear for me, you know, when somebody 
took a bit of that ex- uh, inspiration, you know, because it's 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 funny to hear, you know, he was what 10, 11 when we won the Davis Cup, you know, so he was l- really the kid, and we were doing really well. So, you know, you already start to see those kind of differences in ages. But uh, no, other other than that, very good. I think he has a he has a bright future ahead of, ahead of him. I don't think we've seen you too much on tour since you uh, stopped playing a few years ago. What, what have you been up to since uh, the stepping away? Yeah, I mean, this is basically probably a first tournament that I attend at least for a day. So, <laughs> so yeah, but not that it was much possible back in a couple of years. But uh, no, I was I was just trying to enjoy myself. You know, it's been it's been really tough, really hectic. You know, and once you step up, step out of the court, it's um, the life change. But in my in my case, it was. It was a good and nice change, you know. I, I didn't really have times like, you know, like I would call it a dead spot when you don't know what to do or, you know, a bit lacking of daily routine of, of a professional tennis player. So, no, I mean, I was trying to fulfill my, uh, you know, to-do list and, uh, and stuff that there was no time to do while I was playing and giving it all all possible on the court so you know slowly I'm starting to look to the things and uh, getting myself occupied again but it was it was intense so no need to be that intense again. What do you what do you miss though about being on tour and playing? Well for me it's definitely it would be only one one thing it's competing and 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 the winning feeling of the match but again I, you know, I had it, my approach was like, all right, I, on one side, I have so many, like, not negatives, but the, the things that you have to suffer, that you have to really, like, give it the tennis. And on the other one was something what's balancing the things. And for me, it was definitely the feeling of winning the match. So at the end, that's what I missed, basically, you know, because of my injuries and all, all that stuff. I was not able to, to be able, you know, perform on court because I was always waiting if I get injured or not. So, but now, you know, I just enjoy being outside because I know that I'm not anymore in professional way. So that feeling of winning the match is very, very far. So I'm good, but but really, if, if I have to say one thing, it would be just you know the feeling after the after the match. Yeah. And how much have you been sort of continuing to watch the tour, and what have you made of the the last few years? Obviously, a few of your old contemporaries still no, going. They're still, really on. they're still on. Yeah. Young guys as well, aren't they? No, definitely. I mean, and funny to say, I do see and follow tennis a little bit more than I when I was playing, because you know when you play, come for the tournament. You know when you lose the tournament, to be watching the guys that they beat you, or you're supposed to be instead of them there. Mm, not, not really interested but now you know completely free mind you know just to just to watch it and uh, it's interesting to see it's definitely interesting to see the the old good guys you know still being around you know chasing the the history books and the young ones to to come up and change that and yeah I mean the time's gonna be different but I wouldn't be afraid of it I mean why why to be always the same and always the you know like you almost know what's going to happen the next week. So I think there are interesting times in tennis coming up. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. To Acapulco now and an event which was founded in the very same year as the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championships. The Abierto Mexicano Telcel, presented by HSBC, always attracts a strong field and the players got in on the act of celebrating its 30th birthday this year, including Casper Ruud, Francis Tierfo and Taylor Fritz. But the first voice you'll hear, tournament director Alvaro Falla. 
of course, to have Rafa Nadal, David Ferrer, uh, Thomas Moster as a big brand in, in, in our tournament is, is uh, the, the best wish we can have in our tournament. The first thing that we can make this year is to, an special recognition for everyone who trusts in us as a tournament and make us one of the best. We as a team, McStennis, are trying to do the possible that they have the best experience when they arrive. All of them find a, a very, very good conditions in general. You are a sea level, you are in a paradise, you are finding a great week in the calendar. It's very different. It's like sort of the beach vibe uh, where we're living or staying. And then you have the, the tournament here, which is, which is brand new stadium and brand new facilities. Great. It's a, it's a beautiful paradise. It's a, a, a amazing people. Mexicans are recognized as one of the best fans worldwide. So you're going to feel it in, in the stadium, in the every place in the court. Yeah, it's definitely different from a lot of events on the tour. Um, I probably top three best fans. Um, they really get after it, you know, they love it. And the kids really enjoy it and it's a good event. Um, the atmosphere is great. Definitely love the energy at night with the, the crowd. The fans are like amazing. Like they absolutely love, love watching it. They cheer very loud, they get very into it. It's, it's great. And then obviously just staying where we stay, like, the resort on the beach, tournaments right here is not, you know, there's not much not to love about this week. For us, our goal is to have the, 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 the high caliber players in a, very happy, but of course we are working hard looking for the next generation too, and we, we need to, 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 to present the, the, the tournament for them as a very nice place to be, and that's our principal goal right now. Sampling the delights and atmosphere of Acapulco for the first time was 19-year-old Dane Holger Runa, who made it all the way to the semi-finals. It's a beautiful place and I really enjoyed it. The beach is beautiful, hotel is nice. Sunny court is, is unbelievable, so uh, body feels good. Had a few problems um, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I've healed, um, got the treatment done and, and ready to play now. I was reading your quotes after your loss in Australia. How have you sort of taken the time to reflect on what was an incredible match? Yeah. You had those chances, and what are you trying to learn from those situations like you had there? Yeah, I think it was, you know, obviously a lot to learn because losing a match like that hurts a lot. Um, it's normal, but uh, you know, you gotta find a way to, to get over it as fast as possible, which I did. So it was was good, but you know, just you know. Keep being composed in those important moments is, is really important because, you know, playing a top guy like, like Rublev, you know, he's, he's going to stay composed. So if I don't, I'm going to lose, which happens. So really just take the chance and, and go for it. That's the most important. This year, this tournament is turning 30, celebrating yeah. your, its 30th anniversary. When you think of yourself at 30, yeah. what are you hoping for your tennis and in your life? I'm hoping for a lot of Grand Slam titles and uh, a lot of success for sure. <laughs> Holger Runa with Nick McCarville, and it sounds like he's already moved on from that epic fourth-round defeat to Andrei Rublev at this year's Australian Open. Another player in Acapulco who's taken some serious strides forward over the past 24 months is Slovak Alex Molchan. Currently ranked 57 in the world, he started 2021 
at number 303. So I asked him, how has he achieved such a dramatic rise? Good question. Uh, I was thinking the same. I was speaking with, uh, with my closest uh, people around me that what, what, what happened that uh, I improved so much uh, during one year. Uh, I don't have an answer for that, actually. Uh, there is no one thing that, uh, that helped me the most. Uh, I was just, just, just playing the tournaments. I, I always believed that I can be in top 100 soon. I didn't know it's going to be that fast. Uh, in, I don't know, in, in a few months, actually. I don't know, since April, to, uh, in, in November, I was in top 100. So it was, let's say, seven months or something. So uh, yeah, it was incredible. But uh, of course, it's, it's, it didn't stop there. Uh, I wanted, uh, I still want to, to be in better ranking every single year. So uh, yeah, but it was not just one thing that helped me. And physically, I mean, you're not a, a, a big tall guy either. There are not a hundreds of free points out there. How has that affected the way you've approached the game and the way you really prepare yourself to play at, you know, at the top level? I mean, you see, that there is many guys who are not uh, as tall as some other guys and they're still playing good. So I don't think it's uh, some, I mean, I don't think it's bad to be, to be uh, not that tall. So every guy has his own strengths. My strengths are, you know, I can run a lot. Uh, my defense is pretty good, so I'm moving, I'm moving really well. So that is my stronger side. So um, I don't know, I, I don't look at it this way that I'm, I'm disadvantaged. Uh, so uh, yeah, I just, I just play, enjoy. And accentuate the positives. One positive in your camp, at least, it seems has been working with Mayan Vida former coach of Novak, of course. What has Mayan done for you as well as a, as a coach since coming in? Yeah, he, he brings a lot of professionalism into the team. Uh, you know, his, uh, his thoughts and, you know, his experience uh, with Novak he had, it's, it's incredible to listen. I'm, I'm always uh, trying to ask some questions that how was he working with this kind of things and what was he doing? But still it's uh it's different i'm different uh guy uh completely different mind so it doesn't work uh for everyone what was he doing so i'm not i'm not trying to to be like him but of course uh i'm still asking marian a few few things about him so uh yeah but marian is is incredible person that's that's the most important thing for me so uh yeah and he's I have two coaches, Marianne and Carol Beck, so and they they work really well together. Uh, they're enjoying uh, also, and I'm enjoying them. So uh, so far, it's it's really it's really cool to to have the coach like him in my team. I think one thing people say about Novak, apart from his physical attributes, is his tactical appreciation of the game. Has Marianne been able to help you with your tactical side of the game and? I was just wondering how that might have changed since he came in. Yeah, of course, the tactical thing is is important one, of course. Uh, so uh, we are trying to to find the right tactics uh, tactics uh, when I'm playing against my opponent, and uh, yeah, we are trying to to play the right shots, uh, trying to practice the right shots at the right time. It's not it's not easy, of course, but uh, yeah, he's he's really helpful in that spe specific thing. So, and just finally, Alex. What are the hopes for 2023? How high do you think you can go? Yeah, I think I think I can go high. I mean, I don't see. I think right now everyone is is uh, so good, 
but in the same time it's beatable. Uh, it's not easy to beat the, the top guys, of course. It's really hard. It's it's hard to beat any guys uh, right now because the level really improved a lot. So uh, yeah, but I think uh, if I'm gonna stay healthy and I'm gonna practice good and always be positive, I think uh, I can go really high and uh, yeah, I'll try to enjoy the season as much as I can and we'll see what's gonna happen. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. While those two ATP 500s were playing out on the hard courts of Dubai and Acapulco, a number of the game stars were still on the clay in Santiago, Chile. Among them Italian Lorenzo Musetti, who this year has broken into the world's top 20 for the first time. It's pretty, uh, let's say, uh, a dream because, uh, you know, uh, scoring a best ranking, it's always nice and it's always positive. You mean, I mean, I, I'm playing good, uh, but uh, I have to, to, keep, to keep working hard to try to get more. And, uh, you know, the next step is the top 10, so it's, uh, it's a big step, uh, even if the position, they are not so much. But, you know, I just have to keep working and keep dreaming and uh, let's see if I, can, if I can make it. You have a reputation as being a, a very flair player, you know, flamboyant, flair, great game. Do you feel like your game is changing to make you more consistent or are you the same but just getting better at it? Mm, I don't know, like I, I would say half and half because um, I, I, I'm trying to change and to be more solid in uh, uh, certain situations, especially on the court. And, uh, but it's not easy because my nature is to be more, uh, uh, let's say, with variation and too many variations at times. <laughs> but uh, I'm, uh, you know, the character, character of one person, you cannot like, change like that. So I need time, I need, uh, I need work, so I'm, that's what I, I, I wanted to do in the future for sure, to be more solid and consistency in during, during the game. Yeah, what is the secret to that for you and your team? What are you really working on to take that next step to make top 10? Uh, try to, uh, to be more even professional in every single details, especially in and off court. So that's what I'm trying to do. And sometimes, you know, you have up, up and down, you, you feel great the ball, the next day you don't, you don't feel it. So, uh, you know, you have to uh, be patient, uh, negotiate with your, with your anxiety and with, your, uh, uh, with, with the stress of a tournament, of a match, and uh, all the problems that uh, uh, you can have in the, during a, a tournament or during a, the, the season. So just to be patient and uh, have a, a good work ethic, I think it, it makes you like, feel better and uh, achieve more, more results. And for all the results and news from this week's events, head to the ATP Tour website or the ATP WTA Live app. Attention now turns to the first ATP Masters 1000 of the year in Indian Wells. I'll be there on the hunt for more exclusives alongside Jill Krabus. One man I'll be keen to track down is defending champion Taylor Fritz, whose road to the title was far from straightforward last year. 
Fritz works with Paul Anacone and also with Michael Russell, who was good enough to talk Jill through the story of their campaign last year. You know, he loves that tournament. It's in his backyard. He grew up in San Diego and he, you know, used to come and watch that tournament as a kid. And, you know, going through the first couple rounds, you know, he was able to squeak through two matches back to back, seven, six and a third. Um, wow. against yeah. two yeah two tough players um one of them Munar um and then another match that he played was really tight with uh Demonauer as well and then getting into that semifinal playing Andre Rublev um obviously we knew it was going to be an extremely tough match uh, Andre comes with so much firepower and Taylor's up a set and at four all, I think it was in the second, um, kind of sprains his ankle a little bit, but manages, I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah I saw that. and manages the hold serve. But like you could see in Andre's service game, the next game, like Taylor was really kind of feeling it and struggling to move. Somehow finds a way to get match point, and by chance gets a second serve and just goes for it and goes for a backhand line and like hits it perfectly on the line and <laughs> wins the match, which was like. Wow, you know, I mean, obviously stepped yeah. up and took the chance and got uh, full reward for that. And we didn't know how he would respond the next day or how bad was it. You know, we didn't think it was that bad. And the next morning, when we went to practice, warm up on center court, because, you know, we're trying to get ready to play right. on center court against Rafa, you know, Taylor feels the ankle and, you know, it can be a little dramatic sometimes and you know he he goes basically down on the ground and he's like i can't move and the fact that we're on center court and you know a lot of the media was there right. early for the women's final you know they kind of picked up on that and right. i started getting all these text messages from you know some of my my friends who are you know in media saying like what's going on is taylor okay he's gonna be able to play and it's just like all these things going through my head i'm like i didn't answer because obviously i have to figure out what's going on so fortunately, um, ATP physios really helped out, um, and the docs of the tournament, um, he was able to basically get a anti-inflammatory injection, uh, perfectly legal, um, and he was able to, to play. I mean, we probably did the most intense warm-up ever before a match because, you know, his whole team around him was saying, look, if you're in this much pain, you shouldn't play. You know, given I we get it, it's the finals of a Masters, the biggest match right. of your life at this point. But we don't want you to make your injury worse to the fact that you might not be able to play tennis again, or who knows. And you know, Taylor's typical. Taylor's like, no, no, I can play, I can play. And so we literally in the warm up, I I just stood in the corner and moved him side to side for like twenty minutes. How like tight were you in that on. moment? Were you tight? No, I, I mean I wasn't tight because I was like, look, if like you're gonna, I mean Rafa's gonna make you move yeah. anyway. So it's like. If you can do what we're doing now in this warm-up, then we'll sort of give you the green light to mm -hmm. at least go play because, I mean, I'm literally running you like crazy side to side, throwing in drop shots and, you know, way more intense than we would ever so have this, any warm-up. So was this like immediately after the injection that he could move that way? Or? This is about yeah. like 30 minutes. So part of, part of Taylor's preparation is he likes to warm up two hours before a match. Okay. So, I mean, really far in advance. So at least... We had a little bit of time on our side in that aspect, um, but I mean, the, 
the, the, the time went by really fast when, <laughs> right. you know what I mean, you're on the ground, then you got to meet with the physio, you got to meet with the doctor, right. you got to get an injection, and then have the warm-up. So, he, yeah, we basically warmed up, did all that right before he stepped on court. And then, you know, multiply that by the fact that, you know, Rafa was already nursing the rib right. injury, and we right. didn't know if he was going to play. So they were like, I mean, it was crazy. I, I felt for Tommy Haas. <laughs> Good for him. He was the tournament <laughs> right. director. Right. Because, you know, I'm sure he was sweating right. bullets on the right. sideline, you know, getting, are we going to have a final? You know, how's the level going to be? But, I mean, fortunately, Taylor played really well, and then it was able to, you know, take out Rafa, who hadn't lost a match the whole year at that point, and, you know, win his first and Masters title. I know, it's amazing. Yeah. And going back to the semifinal where you said you saw him hurt his ankle, how, how was your reaction? Were you, cons- I mean, obviously concerned, but you were nervous about what actually he could have done to himself? Or Yeah, I mean, Taylor's hypermobile, which is, which is a good thing because mm-hmm. he's very flexible in his ligaments and his joints. But at the same time, you know, he's prone to get these type of injuries a lot. So I just... We didn't know. I mean, with Wolf, the physio, and then and Paul, um, we just didn't know how, you know, how strong the injury was and how invasive it would be, and mm-hmm. if, you know what his recovery would be. I mean, t- Taylor's one of the best competitors I've seen, so I knew he was going to want to step on court regardless. Right. But you just don't want to make it worse. And then when you're injured like that, does it change your? Did it change your strategy going into the final at all? Because I felt like he was a lot more aggressive was that yeah. a part of the strategy because you don't want to have to move that much I'm assuming yeah I mean it, it was twofold I mean one yes because he's a little bit injured you know he's got to take more risk and go for it and then also the fact that he knows playing Rafa I mean if he gets involved in these long baseline right. rallies Rafa's just going to dictate all those rallies so he knew he was going to have to serve big and basically every time he got a forehand just you know take advantage of it mm-hmm. and go for it and try to keep the point short and uh, which he did. I mean, it, yeah, it was phenomenal. And a lot of times you can learn from injuries, right? And obviously he's had a f- phenomenal year after that uh, stage. Ha- do you, did you feel like it helped him learn something about his game going forward for the rest of the year? I, th- I think it helped him confidence-wise. Yeah. Um, ha- I mean, we had a few more injuries, unfortunately. Um, missed most of the clay court season with a um, stress reaction in his foot, okay. his left foot. So... Didn't play Madrid, didn't play uh, Rome. Um, very little preparation for the French Open where he, you know, he didn't play very well. Um, so it was a little bit challenging. But, you know, from a confidence standpoint, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, winning a, a Masters title and beating Rafa, I mean, it just basically um, solidified his belief that he can be one of the top players in the world. More titles have followed last year in Eastbourne and Tokyo and already this year in Delray Beach. Fritz out to do whatever he can to keep hold of his place inside the world's top five. That is it for this week. Thank you to all of our guests. Remember, you can check out the podcast channel on Wednesday for another exclusive interview. You can head to Tennis TV to watch all the action live. Download the ATP WTA Live app for all the latest scores, draws and orders of play. And you can read more Great content on atptour.com. I'm Seb Lozier. We'll be back next Sunday at the midway stage of the BMP Paribas Masters in Indian Wells. It's guaranteed to be another fantastic fortnight in the desert. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. <laughs>